Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. If you are looking for vendor process training for you or your entire vendor team, head over to my site at DeborahRRichardson.com and click on the Vendor Team Training Solved button to learn more about what is included in the annual plan and also to download a training schedule. Get the training that you and your team needs to avoid payment fraud, duplicate vendors, compliance fines, and more. If you are still receiving requests uh, to make changes to existing vendor records from your vendors via email, then I am sure you know that you and your vendor team members are highly susceptible to fraud. But You're not alone because that's the way your colleagues are doing it too. And so today I thought I'd talk about four vendor forms that you can use to mitigate that fraud risk and make sure you stick around to the end uh, because I'll let you know where you can get some templates uh, so you don't have to start from scratch creating your own or updating your own and have a discount code for you. Keep listening. Welcome to episode 186. Are you still accepting existing vendor changes via email? Four vendor forms you need to prevent fraud. So like I said in the intro, if you are still accepting uh, changes to existing vendors, uh, the vendor master file or their vendor record, Uh, in the vendor master file, if you are still accepting uh, the requests and the forms for those changes via email, you are not alone, but you may not have the authentication techniques, internal controls, best practices in place like some of those other teams do in order to mitigate that fraud. And so today I'm going to talk about four forms that help you mitigate fraud. So the first one is the authentication reference template or form. And what this does is, uh, best way to explain it, you call your bank and your bank asks you two to three questions to make sure that you are who you say you are. So there are two to three identifying questions. And so you need to do the same thing with your vendors. And so you can use this authentication reference template to identify what questions you are going to ask to the vendor and make sure you have quite a few. I recommend um, five or six or more. So you're not asking the same thing each time. And so you have all these questions on the same template, the same form, and then you can give that to all of your team members that communicate with vendors uh, via phone or via email so that they can authenticate these vendors 
uh, and know that they are talking to their real vendor and not to a fraudster. And so what the authentication reference template or form or matrix can look like, I typically will break that up into columns of data, like invoice information, purchasing information, uh, information from the vendor record. And I also had a client that had a vendor self-registration portal and wanted to be able to help those vendors that uh, had issues logging in or registering from the invitation email. And so we had another column that asked, um, I believe it was called vendor portal, and it just asked or had the identifying information uh, invitation number that came in the email. So that was one of the options. But under invoice, right, you could have invoice uh, date, you could have invoice uh, number. I wouldn't ask them both, uh, just have both or uh, ask both questions from, uh, for example, that one invoice column, because if they get uh, a hold of, if a froster gets a hold of an invoice, then they can authenticate. Um, but under the invoice, have invoice number, invoice date, invoice amount. Under purchasing, have purchase order number, have buyer. Um, under the vendor record, right, have the uh, uh, last four digits of the tax ID, have the last four digits of the bank account number, have those pieces of data, not those the data itself, but have um, those questions that you can ask uh, for the vendor to authenticate themselves and make sure whatever you include that, that the team members that are authenticating these vendors actually have access to so they can verify it's correct. Now, one good thing about asking these authenticating questions on this authentication reference template or form or matrix is that fraudsters will tend to hang up. So if you push back and ask uh, identifying questions, the fraudsters will just hang up and go to the next potential victim that's not asking those types of uh, identifying questions. All right, so that's one, the authentication reference template. All right, so once the vendor authenticates, then you can talk to them about whatever they contacted you about. Now, if they want a vendor bank change, then you need to send them the second template that I'm going to talk about today or form, and that is the company branded ACH form. Now, this company branded ACH form uh, includes authenticating data such as the tax ID and the existing bank account information that is on file. Now, I also recommend that you include the uh, internal team member at your company that they have a relationship with, especially um, because some of these purchases are non-PO purchases. And so you don't have a buyer. You do need that internal team member. So if there are any red flags, you have someone that you can contact. Now, once you get that form back, you can use it to compare to the existing uh, vendor information or data on the vendor record. Again, tax ID, existing bank account information, and that adds another layer of authentication. Now you might say, well, we already require, you know, a vendor bank 
form or letterhead, banking details on vendor letterhead or uh, or on bank letterhead or maybe even a copy of avoided check. Just understand, I know you already know that all those can be forged, but you can still collect it, just collect it in addition to the company branded ACH form. All right, so those two forms, the authentication reference template and the company branded ACH form with authenticating data. So there is the really authentication theme that you can use as layers of security when you are receiving uh, these vendor requests via email to make sure you're actually getting it from your real vendor. All right, so I'm going to cheat with the next two because I promised you four. Uh, Number three and four are kind of the same, but they are two separate forms. And that is a substitute W-9 and a substitute W-8. And you might wonder, well, why do we use a substitute W-9 or a substitute W-8 when the IRS provides perfectly good uh, W-9 and W-8 forms. And with the W-8, there are five separate versions. But again, IRS provides those. Why would we do a substitute? Well, I like them because one, you tell me how many times you've sent that W-9 back and forth and back and forth and back and forth because your vendor doesn't know how to fill it out. Uh, And even worse so with the W-8 because they may not even know which version of the form that they need to fill out. So that's one. It makes it much easier for the vendor to complete a uh, vendor setup form, which is what it looks like versus the actual IRS versions of the forms because, you know, they never read the directions. So the substitute W-9 and substitute W-8 Um, are allowed by the IRS and it really combines the IRS versions of those forms with a vendor setup form. And again, why would you want to use that? Um, In addition to, already talked about, it's easier for the vendor to set up. But the second reason is, is because you can ask for more data. And here we go again. What type of data are you going to ask for? you're going to ask for authenticating data. Again, to make sure another layer of security that you are actually dealing with your real vendor for this request. So what do I mean by um, authenticating data? And so uh, one is, yes, you can have the tax ID number on it. Again, compare that to what's on your existing vendor record. But what I really mean is that if they have a change in their information, also require the existing information. So if they have a change to their remittance address, right? Because we're all still paying those checks. Maybe this is a check payment vendor. If they are making a change to their existing remittance address, uh, include on the form the uh, existing and the new address. So have them put both on it. And then when you get that form back, compare the existing 
uh, uh, remittance information or address to the address that is on file. You can do the same thing with an email address. You can do the same thing with vendor legal name. You can do the same thing with the tax ID. The point is, is that in order for them to change information, they have to give you the existing information, the same as with a banking change when on the company branded ACH form, you are requiring the existing banking. All right. So those are the four forms or templates that you can use to mitigate risk when you are receiving um, the requests and the uh, supporting documentation to make changes uh, to your existing vendors via email. And again, I'll list them. That is the authentication reference template or form or matrix. That is the company branded ACH form. And then that is the substitute W9 and the substitute W8. Now, if you don't already have them, you could totally create or uh, create these forms or maybe revise your existing forms. Uh, As a matter of fact, I do have a couple of podcasts that will help you with the substitute W9 and W8 forms. So podcast episode 27 is, can you switch to a substitute IRS form W8? And then podcast number 41 or episode 41 is one reason to switch to a substitute form uh, W-9. And as you go or go to those uh, podcast episodes, um, you can feel free to listen. But I also have a link in the description to an accompanying blog post that has links to the IRS instructions on how to create what's required for the substitute form W-9 and then also for the substitute uh, form W-8 for the various versions. So make sure you check those out if you're interested in uh, creating your own uh, forms. Now, I will tell you that I have uh, those forms already created uh, to save you time All of these forms that I talked about today are included in the Authentication Validation Management three-step vendor setup and maintenance toolkit. Now it has all of these forms plus the three-step vendor setup and maintenance e-guide. It also has global uh, vendor registration numbers referenced. So it's not all about the IRS tax ID. Other countries have other business tax individual um, registration numbers. And so I have uh, that available for a hundred plus countries that's included in there. I also have vendor communication templates uh, that you can, your team or you can use to either copy and paste, uh, customize and then copy and paste verbiage in the email uh, or Uh, scripts that you can say over the phone for certain scenarios like new vendor instructions, um, change vendor instructions, vendor validation letters. If you're doing a vendor master file cleanup, it also includes a confirmation log so you can document uh, the many attempts that you sometimes have to do when you want to confirm a banking change. So it includes that. And then it also has some templates for desktop procedures. 
And if you don't have desktop procedures, then this is a great way to get started uh, because it does have a great format, table of contents, and I have one, two, three, four, five, new vendor add, a change, um, vendor data review and activation process, uh, and then also the vendor add and change for foreign vendors. And I've got um, lots of great data to get you started to be able to customize that for your company and your team. And you can really use this toolkit if you want to revamp your vendor add and change process to make sure you're adding in authentication techniques, internal controls, and best practices to kind of plug up those gaps that you have that can let in fraud. And part of that is what we talked about today with those four forms. Now, thanks for sticking around to the end. I do have a discount code so that you can get 25% off of the toolkit with discount code ADDTOOLKIT25. And I will include that discount code in the show notes. So look for the link to the toolkit and right next to it, you will see the discount code so that you can get 25% off just for being a podcast listener. Now, I know these podcast episodes will go on and on and on and on forever and a day. I don't know how long I'm going to have that discount code available, but it will at least be through May 30th of 2022, which uh, by the time this podcast episode is published, will give you a good couple of weeks to get approval and then get that purchased. Now, if it's after May 30th, 2022, who knows? Give it a shot. All right. So thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 186th episode of the Putting the AP and Happy podcast where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy. Stay happy.